Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. It had nothing to do necessarily with the technology. It had everything to do with how I was using it. It's always an inside job, you know, personal branding. If we can let go of what we think other people want us to be or what we think they want to hear, (laughs) then that's the moment we really arrive at being ourselves and that's when you connect. You are in control of the technology. It should not be in control of you. Welcome back to the Woken Wired podcast. This week, my guest is Amy Jo Martin, my personal mentor and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Renegades Write the Rules. She is the host of the Why Not Now podcast and the founder of Digital Royalty, a company that helped corporations, celebrities, and sports entities humanize their brands through social media. Some of her clients, back when she used to run Digital Royalty, were Shaquille O'Neal, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Hilton, Nike. No big deal. Really cool, huge global brands. Her motto is to connect with humans and not logos. And after a very successful seven-year run with the agency, she exited Digital Royalty in 2016. She has a social media following of over 1 million people, and she was named the third most powerful woman on Twitter by Forbes. Amy Jo Martin runs the Renegade Brand Bootcamp, a three-month intensive training course designed to help female founders find their voice online and elevate their business. I personally participated in the boot camp. It just finished the other week. And some of the other podcast guests like Danica Braisha have also completed the boot camp. I got so much value from it. It had such an impact on my business and my vision for where I'm going that I am actually considering doing a solo episode where I share what my experience joining Mastermind for the first time in my life has been like and whether that investment for my business paid off. Let me know if you would want to see that. Just DM me on Instagram at WokenWired or contact me through the website, WokenWired.com. In this episode, we talk about personal branding in the digital age. We talk about the phenomenon of valuing yourself based on metrics on a social media app and how to establish a more healthy and empowering relationship with social media, even if it's a huge part of your business. We talk about how the society tends to romanticize hustle and Amy Jo's personal experience of just being so burnt out, running on four hours of sleep and forgetting her own name. And after hitting the wall like that, she shut down her agency, moved into the woods, where she now lives happily with her husband. And it's such an interesting thing because in listening to her journey, there's so many potent lessons in how when you're just focused on the hustle and the business aspect, then you are missing a very important component that resides and lives on the inside of you. So now you can really see the shift and she approaches business and life from a much more intuitive perspective that really values alignment and also contemplative meditative practices, which she shares in this interview. I am super excited to share this interview with you. Amy Jo Martin truly is one of the pioneers of social media, and it was very interesting to have this conversation with her. We recorded it before I joined the mastermind, so I feel like if we had recorded it after when we already had a relationship, it would have been completely different, but maybe there's part two that's meant to happen. In the spirit of what Amy Jo Martin shares about not having all eggs in one basket and making sure you grow your email list, I invite you to go to wokenwire.com forward slash tribe and join my email list. And I will send you three practices to experience more ease, alignment, and clarity in your relationship to social media, whether that's for your personal brand or for your business. So go to wokenwire.com forward slash tribe and join the tribe. 
There's also a closed podcast group on Facebook, so you can just search Woke and Wired Podcast Listeners Group on Facebook and join. There's a really good community happening, and that's a place where you can exchange knowledge, ask questions, and connect with like-minded, woke, and wired beings. Thank you for being here. I have a huge announcement coming out on my social media channels tomorrow. So if we're not yet connected, find me at Woke and Wired on Instagram and look out for it because there's going to be lots of things happening and lots of content and podcasts also covering that. So I'm excited to share the next chapter of my life with you. Enjoy this podcast and share any takeaways or questions and comments. Tag Amy Jo Martin at Amy Jo Martin and at Woke and Wired. That's me on Instagram. We would love to see your takeaways. And if you enjoy this podcast and if you haven't yet left a review and a rating on iTunes, please do that. It really helps. And I love reading your reviews. Guys, I have the OG of the social media world here with me, Amy Jo Martin. And I am so excited to be connecting with you. And the first question I'm going to ask you, Amy Jo, is I'm going to read out your Instagram bio loud, and you're going to explain to us what it is that you actually do. You game? I'm game. Love it. Okay. So Amy Jo Martin, if you guys want to follow along, that's the handle, public figure, New York Times bestselling author, speaker, founder, and CEO, podcast host of Why Not Now, amyjomartin.com. All right. So what does Amy Jo Martin actually wake up and do every day? Great question. I help people do difficult things. And usually that is focusing on helping them live in the intersection of where their passion, purpose, and skill collide. Because I have learned, because I think that we learn what we need to teach, that that's a pretty rad place to live. And if more people did that, our world would look a lot differently. So that might sound a little canned, but it's honestly not. It's just what I do. So the books and the podcasts and all the rest of that feed into that bigger why to help people get down the big, difficult mountains. That's what I do. What mountain did you have to go down for yourself to arrive at the place where you realize this is what I want to do for others? Oh, that's a great question. I think it was more of an issue of not letting people help me down the mountain and thinking that I could do it myself and prove to the world. And I just kind of was fueled by a place of, of wanting to prove versus you know, more purpose and, and being aligned with, with who I really am. So that wasn't necessarily a good look, but I learned a ton and it was really, you know, I, I became an entrepreneur 10 years ago and, um, the best thing I ever did taking a step into the unknown. And also it's been, of course, difficult and there really isn't a handbook per se. So I've just learned that it's so much easier when we have our guides, our mentors, willingness to let other people help us navigate these uncharted waters versus trying to do it on our own. So I built a company and was pretty successful. And from the outside looking in, it, it looked amazing. And my life looked like, like it was just wonderful. And on the inside and behind the scenes, it was a different story. So I was really out of alignment. And so it took some time to recalibrate and start living from the inside out. Mm, it's so easy to live from the outside in, in this age of social media. And it's also easy to blame social media on it. And it's mm -hmm. a little harder to take the responsibility and actually face all the little nooks and crannies within ourselves where we are out of alignment. So what happened was there a particular event or maybe a conversation that made you realize, whoa, something is really not lining up and I got to do something differently? Yes, there absolutely was a kind of pinnacle. I call it a why not now moment. And to kind of give you a little background, I really experimented with social media when it was just 
coming out and developing and it was kind of the wild, wild west. And this was more than 10 years ago now, for sure. But it was an interesting time because it, it, I started working with some pretty high profile individuals, celebrities, athletes. Amy Jo, give it, just give it to us. Just tell us who it was that you got oh. on social media. <laughs> so I worked in the NBA for the Phoenix Suns and, and I helped Shaquille O'Neal really build his presence and, and brand on social. In fact, he was the first verified person on Twitter. And because I was working with them, I think they, I was the second. It was, there were 11 people working at Twitter at the time. And it was just, it was the wild, wild west. But because of the work we were doing and some of the ideas I had given him, which were out there, and I totally made it up as I was going, just following what I thought would make sense was these, these stunts and these virtual just, you know, initiatives started making the news. And we were on ESPN almost every night with these random acts of shackness that I came up with. And it was just this, like I said, wild, wild west world where I'm a like girl from Wyoming. I grew up in a trailer park. I had never really met a celebrity prior to meeting Shaquille. And it was a bizarre ride to start helping him and then watch my own digital footprint grow in this spotlight from the outside. As someone who, you know, I didn't even drive on a freeway until well into my 20s. (laughs) So (laughs) this was, I, I was out of my element, but at the same time, went to school for classic branding. And I thought, geez, I think people just want to get to know this guy more. And it's really the human behind the brand the person behind that personality that we see on television that people really want to know the Shaquille, not just the Shaq. And so we did these things and it, we hit headlines and this train just left the station. I started my own company. And the next thing you know, it's, I'm a 20 something first time entrepreneur, first rodeo that doesn't, you know, just like anyone, you don't know really what you're doing and you just learn on the job. Started hiring people as we gained clients. My following at this point was over a million. Which platform are you talking about? For for Twitter, but collectively, I mean, Instagram didn't even exist at this point. Right. So Facebook, Twitter, at the time there were some some little spin-off platforms that people probably don't remember, or maybe they're not old enough to remember, but like Foursquare and 12 Seconds and Gowalla and just some random stuff, some geolocation-based stuff. But I remember Foursquare, but not the other ones. Yeah, it was it was kind of a interesting time of of everyone wanting to roll out their social platform and and as the company grew, it was one of the first social media agencies to exist that solely focused on social communication, strategies for brands. So Hilton Worldwide was a client, Nike, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, just kind of you name it. And these big brands and personalities were in our portfolio and things look great from the outside looking in, right? Here I am going to movie premieres and flying private with, with the movie stars. And what was really happening behind the scenes was I was averaging about four hours of sleep a night. I was on 210 flights in one year, had employees in 10 different countries, and my marriage was falling apart. My relationships were all on the rocks, and my health was also definitely suffering. So so that's what I didn't tell play-by-play on Twitter, of course, Um, and that was the platform of choice at the time. I'd say that's shifted. But so I had a, a moment. I was standing at the there was a departure board at JFK and I couldn't remember what city I was in and I couldn't remember where I was going, which was pretty normal because that had happened many times. But it took me an unusual amount of time this day. So then I walk over to fuel up for the day at Starbucks and I went to sign the receipt for my coffee and I could not remember my name. I Mm. just stood there. And I looked at the the paper and it just was the most out of body experience, bizarre feeling. And I realized that moment I was an emotionally and physically bankrupt millionaire. And I was so out of alignment. You know, the the personal brand started elbowing out the real person, the me. And I was telling the story. I thought, 
everyone wanted to hear and that I thought I even wanted to hear. So it was a moment of, wow, something's got to change here. Wow. What a mic drop moment. And what year was that? It was 2011. It's so interesting how I feel like in the past couple of years, this whole movement of building your personal brand has really, really blown up, especially because of Instagram being so present in our lives. And for you, those things kind of happened way before. I feel like for the majority of people who are active on social media and create their livelihood on social media, it's just that tipping point where a lot of people are starting to hit that moment of burnout. But for you, it happened back then. And what, what do you do when your whole life and your business and there's people depending on you actually staying connected on social media? What, what, what did you do? Yeah, it was the, it was the life force, the bloodline, but it was also the same thing that I was so fatigued by and addicted to. And I felt like, you know, for a while there was a bit of a pendulum swing where I was resentful, but what was really going on is it had nothing to do necessarily with the technology, it it had everything to do with how I was using it. So um, it's always an inside job, you know, personal branding. It, it, if we can let go of what we think other people want us to be or what we think they want to hear, <laughs> mm-hmm. then that's the moment we really arrive at being ourselves. And that's when you connect. That's when you truly make that human connection. And in turn, connection converts. So I really had it backwards. I think, you know, when we think about branding, you know, traditional marketing, it's a very static, specific, polished, iconic type of thing where a company spends a lot of money and time getting it just perfect. And it's the highlight reel, not the the real life. It's not alive. Well, human beings are very much alive and we're evolving minute to minute and we're messy. And so that's not really what a traditional brand definition would be. So the two can clash pretty easily if, if we aren't intentional about making sure that we realize you are yourself, you don't brand yourself. And so that's, yeah, it's a fascinating time that we live in where you know, I just am hopeful that people can catch themselves before they fall too far down into a path that they think they should be that's in this virtual land and that really can be something where we we value ourselves based on metrics in an app i mean mm-hmm. that's happening all day every day especially to young younger people that are even more impressionable and vulnerable so it's it's a really interesting time Okay, what you just said has like three different conversation starters. There's so much to it. But before we get into that, I want to rewind back to when, before you started working with Shaq and you started your agency, how come you were the only person in the building who knew how to use Twitter? What was your first experience getting on social media and why were you called to even do it? I had lobbied for a new role that didn't exist in the NBA at all, let alone the Phoenix Suns, the specific franchise I was working for. So this thing called new media, I'm using air quotes here because I think it's funny that we called it new media, was this term was floating around and it really encompassed mobile marketing and, you know, email marketing to a certain extent, but it was anything new that we really didn't know about yet. And social kind of fell into this. And I had been at a conference that, fortunately for me, one of the early investors, he's part of a venture capital firm, one of the early investors of Twitter was speaking at, and he was talking about Twitter. And he personally was digging it for a variety of reasons. And I thought, I'll just give it a try. And right around this time, Twitter had been around for a while, but what really put it on the map in my opinion, was the 2008 election when Barack Obama used it. So it was a a really influx of early adopters that were hopping in. And it was a way for celebrities to grab the mic and have direct access to their fans, leapfrog the media. And it was kind of this magic in a bottle for them. So I saw that because I knew I worked in marketing partnerships and 
one of my jobs was to find new ways that our big brand clients like Gatorade could get closer to our athletes. And I thought, wow, this would be interesting to play with because Gatorade wanted touch points of natural integration versus interruption. Like the signage wasn't selling as well and the traditional advertising, but this was a way to get closer to Steve Nash or Shaquille O'Neal or Amari Stoudemire. So that's what they wanted. And I just thought, "Mm, this is new. Let's, you know, I'm intrigued. (laughs) And was there someone you could even learn any of this from at that time, or you were completely just creating everything on the go? I I was creating pretty much everything on the go, but I was also following, you know, the Twitter founders on Twitter, Mm. (laughs) Jack, Biz, and Ev. You know, TechCrunch and Mashable were trying to keep up and, and share news about how it could be used, but it was just, there was no handbook. And so Hence, my first book I wrote is called Renegades Write the Rules because there was no rule book in corporate companies. And that was a big issue with with communication and HR is that do we let our employees on it? Do we not? What happens if we let them speak for the brand? So on and so forth. Right. And it's such, by the way, I have your book. It ended up in my hands because a friend of mine, Linda, who works at Headspace, she told me that you came and spoke and it was about digital age and, and conscious approach to it. And she gave me the book because people in my circle know me as someone who is obsessed with social media, whose life has been transformed by social media, and who is also passionate about empowering others to share their voice on social media. So she gave me your book, Renegades Write the Rules. And every page I was reading, I was like, yes, yes. Yes, this is what I want to be talking about in this world. This is such important learnings and mindset as well. Thank you for reading it. And shout out to Linda. I love Headspace. Such a cool organization. (laughs) It's incredible. So, okay, back to that moment when you forgot your name. I can't even imagine functioning on four hours of sleep a day and being in such highly exciting environments. For me, you know, when I, on those days when I run giveaways on one of my social media accounts, in those last two weeks, we've run three giveaways on one of my accounts, Crystal Criminals, and it's such a high. Every time we announce it, and it runs for 48 hours, and there's thousands of comments and thousands of new followers in just 24 hours, to me, it's just such a high and it brings up anxiety with it as well. And I can't even imagine, you know, if I had to be hanging out with celebrities and flying on top of that at all times, I don't even know what tools I would use to manage my the stress levels in my body. So once you hit that wall, who did you go to and what did you do and what lifestyle changes did you have to make to come back into the alignment? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a great question. Sleep was number one. Uh, it, it's amazing how different differently we operate with and, and without ample sleep. Who knew? Right. Shout out to Ariana Huffington. I know, right? I think too, you know, to that point, our society tends to romanticize the hustle and the grind and the chase and the grasp. And I used to as well. And I just, I literally, I think wrote a blog post and I can't remember if it was for Forbes or some of the, one of the business magazines, but it was like your hustle factor is your differentiating factor. And I think my definition of hustle has really shifted. Mm. My whole world has, has shifted I was running off of adrenaline, right? I was addicted to adrenaline. And I I realize that now. I didn't necessarily realize it at the time. But when you're running on fumes like that, and it's the next one, the next rock star high, the next one, it's hard to have any perspective. And a big thing I had to do was to slow down, just even to get perspective and mind space, you know, head space. And speaking of, I did start meditating. It wasn't an easy buy-in on my part. I'm a pretty, I can be fairly analytical and, and black and white. And, and I just didn't really subscribe to a lot of what I call now woo-woo, you know, that type of thing. 
if someone would have said, you know, what's your gut say, I would say, should we get out a magic eight ball? Because I don't know what you're talking about. Like, let's get a spreadsheet out and do our pros and cons or a pivot table or something. And now I'm like, wow, I wasn't even, I didn't even have a compass. And, you know, between sleep and as much as it's a buzzword, let's just go ahead and use it, self-care. You know, I thought that was weakness for a while and I was so wrong. It's sad to even say, but I did. I, I was out to prove something. I thought the harder I work, the faster I run, you know, the more I would, mm. I would, um, I'd just be happier. So I, you know, as for people, I had to get really clear of why I was doing what I was doing too. Mm-hmm. I started realizing what turned me on and what I really wanted to be doing wasn't necessarily helping really wealthy, successful people gain more wealth and success. Mm. It was working with female entrepreneurs. And I started investing in some female entrepreneurs and dabbling into that and realized how much I feel just more purpose when I do and just tried to lean into what I enjoyed doing, period. And so that meant some hard decisions of letting some things go. But it was also, what did I have to let go? I ended up winding up my company. So that's code four. I closed it. I cashed out and walked away from acquisition conversations. At the time, the company was valued at $10 million. That was a couple years prior. And the acquisition conversations were strong multiples of that. And it was a... It was not an easy ride. I mean, it it was messy to tell basically your family, the people that I worked with, we were all close. They felt like friends and family, of course, that this isn't, this isn't going to work anymore. And it was so bizarre from everyone that was like watching from the outside because we were this little darling company that had just experienced some amazing, amazing strides and some big brands and celebrities. And so. Right. That was a big deal. And why did you decide to shut it down instead of just delegating leadership in your role? I tried for several years to find a CEO. I hired a COO. I tried hiring president. I had made the mistake of building the company so much around myself, meaning, you know, if a very high profile person was our client, so much of the relationship was with me that I needed to be in that meeting or I needed to be at that event. And a lot of this was just mistakes and errors on my part, first time entrepreneur. And also working with this caliber of individual, people thought that I had all the knowledge when really most of the time the team knew more than me (laughs) because they were boots on the ground. It was just, you can't scale yourself in your 24 hours in a day. And instead of selling it, I knew that I mean, I couldn't even remember my name, let alone see a buyout of four or five years and continue to do what mm. I was doing. And I really have a challenge with, I, I just couldn't see myself living out of alignment any, any longer. It was me or the company. And I mean, I, there, I've said this before out loud, but I'm lucky to be alive still. Wow. So, you know, social media, business alignment, these are all such important topics. And from a bigger perspective, it's like this whole lifestyle of ambition and hustle. And for someone like me who lives in New York, who is surrounded and swimming in this energy every day, I catch myself very often striving for things and and things, material things that when I have perspective and I spend some time in nature, I realize that this is not the point at all. And so for me, it's important to spend time in nature and with people who remind me who I am and what's important to me to sort of reorient. But on, you know, for you in your 20s, you had already built a $10 million, multiple million dollar company, right? You had the celebrities. How and then you, you shut it down and you chose alignment and your health. How did you come back into the world of business? And how did you have to shift your priorities on how you were doing business now that you had that chance to start over? Mm. And I just want to acknowledge and appreciate that you are able to be so self-aware and catch yourself when it comes to 
living in that energy because I know exactly what you're talking about. So good for you. So I, I moved, first I moved onto a boat for a year and learned to captain in San Diego. So that gave me a lot of kind of just a different perspective on things. I had so much self-work to do and catch up that, you know, I thought, oh, a couple months, I'm going to take a break. No, it took me a while, like years. And I didn't just stop and not do anything. I've always, I've been public speaking for the last probably 11, 12 years, even before I started my company. So that has continued. I started a podcast just on a whim, just a passion project that's turned into an amazing, much bigger than a passion project, just an amazing experience and, and platform to connect with people and share. And I, I really had to focus on, on me and who I was, not what I was going to do. And it hasn't been easy, but it's been worth every second. And I now live in the forest in the Black Hills in South Dakota and operate my business here out of here, I travel a lot still for business, but you know it was it was a very intentional adjustment, and it's amazing how I realize it doesn't have to be that hard. Like business is, it wasn't this huge struggle necessarily. Now that I'm just more aligned and intentional, I think that's one of the biggest secrets. It's like wow, when you truly are navigating from a place of following your intuition, that's data, that's like science, you realize it, it doesn't have to be that hard and it shouldn't be. So. Wow. I love how you went from show me the stats to saying that intuition is data. Oh yeah. It what informs, a shift. Yeah. And it's still, um, I need to believe, right? I, I kind of like to know the science and understand. And now I'm I'm a believer, right? <laughs> but it took a while to understand, oh, there's there's something called body intelligence where you physiologically can pay attention to cues and signs where it can help you make more sound decisions. That's pretty amazing. Like, so, yeah. Right. Are there any particular practices you do to reconnect to that body intelligence? I would, I, I've definitely, you know, grown with my meditation practice from using Headspace, which was a partner of mine for my podcast from the, in the beginning. And I absolutely love, love the app, but eventually felt like it was, you know, I wanted something a little more and went and took the Transcendental Meditation course and have been doing that for a while now. That helps me keep just be more present throughout my day and just keep a little bit more of, I guess I'm going to say peaceful mind, really. The ebbs and flows don't seem so high and low. But I have a, a pretty incredible mentor. Her name's Susie Batiste. She has one of the most uh, optimized GPS internal compasses I've ever kind of come across. And she's worked on it and worked on it. And she has really helped me throughout this process of understanding the energy and how to really pay attention to the power of of energy and really it's it's all about that kind of inside job you know what's resonant and what isn't right what always comes up is this idea of whatever the energetic state of the founder that's what the company's energy is going to be as well so i think we often hustle, hustle, and we burn out and we forget that people perceive things not just on paper, but on the subtle energetic level. Yes, even through social media, I'm a big believer that the other human on the other side of the screen feels exactly the energy that went into the little piece of content you created. And having that understanding yourself, and Susie's amazing, by the way, I'm super inspired by her as well. Have you noticed that how your energetic state and your personal alignment and your personal practices impact how successful and how fulfilled you feel in your work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's setting the tone, right? Just as you said, and I love, it's so true that the energetic state of the founder really transcends into the energetic state of the brand and the employees and the everything. Yeah, it's, 
I'd say pace is coming to mind right now. You know, I used to feel like things were just always a little manic, like 100 miles an hour and going a million directions and making only maybe a millimeter of progress. Not to misquote essentialism, but it's so true. Like there's, I think there's a lot of fostering around entrepreneurs trying to do things and become things overnight. And so that's, you take that on and it it's going to absorb everywhere. And now like for the first time ever, a couple of weeks ago, I was getting ready to speak to a, a pretty big audience and I meditated before just very quickly. And I kind of was giggling after because I thought, geez, if I would have seen myself five years ago and and been, been able to fast forward and look at this, I wouldn't have believed it. But it helped me just get centered and let things come through me versus from me, you know. So it's it's amazing how that has entered my business practice. What would you say to, first of all, people listening to this, I know you guys are already into all the things and I've talked about pilgrimages I've gone on and ceremonies and all of that. But maybe there is someone who tuned into that who's still a little skeptical about meditation and it having to do anything with your business or how you show up in the world. What would you tell that person? It's a huge tool to whether it's meditation or it's just getting very clear about you know who you are and doing that self-work. It will show up tenfold in in your company and the success of your your business. I mean, going back to Susie Batiste, my mentor, she has never had a business plan ever. She really runs and operates her company off of intuition, one hundred percent. It's a four hundred million dollar company that she's never had an investor or funding. Or, I mean, or loans or anything. And it's if that isn't kind of proof, it's you can't just luckily build something like that, right? It's a game changer. And it's like a secret sauce or something that people are learning. I mean, your audience is more converted than I am, probably. But it's (laughs) in business. It's like, wow, having mindful business is is where not only are you going to impact your clients, customers, but also the world, right? The world, right? Yeah, yeah. I love that Susie Batiza's story because I always am wondering strategy versus intuition. And the more I have conversations like this and the more I really allow my deeper inner wisdom that's not even mine to speak through me, the more I trust that intuition. And I started understanding that they don't have to be mutually exclusive. It's okay exactly. to use intuitive wisdom and then put some strategy on top of that, like a cherry on top, and make it even more powerful. And with social media, it's such a funny thing. And, you know, I started Breakfast Criminals five years ago. There was never an idea to have it be a business, there was no business plan. I didn't ever think I would be a blogger because I had all these ideas in my head of how I'm not the right body type or my style is not right because at the time the only people really successful on social media were bloggers were fashion bloggers and that's the world I was fascinated by and and then I just started sharing about my broken heart and about superfoods and about healthy living and that took off and you know now that I'm going back and thinking about some things I did for sure I did such brilliant moves from strategic point of view, like clicking on every hashtag smoothie bowl and interacting with every person around the world who had posted <laughs> that. At the time, that wasn't like hundreds of thousands or millions. It was like maybe a hundred people doing that. And so now when I am called and I'm very strongly called to bring my social media approach to the world, because there's just so many incredible entrepreneurs and healers who have a message to share, but they all they see when they think about social media is like the spammy approach. Do this 10 things and get this and this, you know, like those one size fits all things that just don't work. So I'm really, my inquiry is how can I take the intuitive approach to social media that has worked for me and guide others into the same? And what keeps coming up is just do your work, grow as a human, And I'll give you a couple of tools here and there, 
But if you don't do your work as a human, as a soul, as as a being, then how what do you why do you expect the other aspects of your life to grow? You know? So for me it keeps coming back to that. I'm curious now that you work with mentoring other entrepreneurs and you speak how do you find that balance between strategy and intuition in terms of teaching your approach to others? Great question. And I agree. It's, I would not say at all, it's one or the other strategy or intuition or even versus um, because they work together and they, they must, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've, I've been on this journey of trying to better understand when to make things happen versus let them happen. And in the past, some of my biggest home runs were because I would just force things out of just sheer force of will. I can do it. I will make this happen. And there might be a little bit of a tornado around me, but I would do it, right? Mm-hmm. And there, more times than not, I would crash and fall or burn out or, you know, it would not be pretty. So I realize there's intuitively now, I will get cues of what is worth pushing a little harder for or what's worth easing up on. And, and it doesn't mean I don't, you know, still go after what I want, or it doesn't mean that I don't believe in hard work, but I think being more cognizant and aware of, does this, is this feeling hard right now because it's, it's just not aligned and not meant to be, or is it because it's just part of the process because that's always going to happen, right? you know, to have hurdles. And so getting more clear on that. And I wouldn't say I have some magic answer necessarily, but when you start to think about it and align it and go back to your filters of your intentions, you usually start realizing pretty quickly, oh, it's one or the other. You know, it's a lot of it is that it's like uh, trying things. And and I was joking about this with some um, people in my mastermind recently where it's okay to date ideas and, and to like mm. flirt and, and kind of, you know, date around because when you do decide to double down <laughs> and commit, like you are in it. So there's kind of this romanticism period of, let me, let me try a bunch of different things. It doesn't mean I'm going to do all of them, but try them out and see what feels right, what you enjoy, what, totally lights you up and gives you that flow state and then take it to the next date and the next date. But it doesn't mean, you know, if you decide it's not the right thing that you're a failure or anything, it's like, you're just being smart about what the next five, 10 years of your life looks like. (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of a roundabout answer, I guess. It's, it's a science and it's an art. (laughs) And so with this new approach, what is your business? Can you do a little breakdown for us? Sure. So um, I have my podcast, which has been amazing business from a partnership standpoint. We don't sell any one-off ads. We do only fully integrated partnerships. And sometimes that includes speaking engagements or, of course, social media or hosting an internal mastermind where... You know, there are female entrepreneurs that are really rocking and rolling. I also have a separate mastermind for female entrepreneurs called the Renegade Brand Bootcamp, which is, it's been amazing. And we're getting ready to open up our our next one for 2019, early 2019. And I'm still an author. You know, I've been working on the next book and I'm just trying to feel into it and see if now is the right time. But, and... I also have a couple of business ideas in the background that I'm flirting with and then public speaking. So it's, it's a little uh, variety of things going on right now. And for the longest time I thought I'm in transition, you know, I'm just still in transition. And actually I think this is, I'm not in transition anymore. This is, this is it right now. And, you know, I would like to build again and build beyond me. I feel like my work is in service to others And I also feel, though, that I would like to build something that's bigger, that's that has more impact than just one individual's 24 hours in a day. Right. And you are making that impact already by doing masterminds, because through those masterminds, carefully curated groups of people who are creating positive impact in the world 
you are impacting so many more than you have directly contact with and your podcast. It's like, isn't it wild to think that people listen to your podcast, you become like their intimate friend that you don't know about? Yes, and you're exactly right. It is a it's a sense and kind of a one form of of scaling your message and and hopefully service. And there's so many amazing routes we can go now in order to do that. But yeah, the so by saying so many routes that we can take, I pulled up earlier today this quote from your 2017 LinkedIn post, which has to do exactly with that. So you said. It's 2017, and it's a beautiful thing that we can change the world by clicking buttons. And I think it's just fascinating. You know, I see social media as nothing more than a tool, a tool that we can use to spread our message further, to connect with more people, to create a bigger impact. And if we see it as anything but that, then we got to look inside and see what it is that's stopping us from seeing the endless possibility. And with your fascinating story, I'm curious to see where are you now with your relationship with social media and how do you maintain boundaries with it? Yeah, great question. It's because it has been quite the ride. I I would say it's much healthier for sure. And I do have to keep it in check. So every once in a while, I'll do a digital detox, or as I call it a social media cleanse, reset my boundaries. It's one of those kind of daily reminder things, and maybe it's even hourly at times, that you are in control of the technology. It should not be in control of you. And I've done little things like set my screen time feature on my phone, where I'll be notified if I've spent more time within apps than I have allotted. And it's such a good just self-awareness trigger. But it's much more positive. I I strongly believe that this technology and these kind of micro exchanges of serotonin that we are we are doing can really impact the real world, the physical world. So I've even done some clinical research around this during my time of not sure what I was going to do next. <laughs> Studying the relationship between serotonin and social communication. And, and if you think about it, you know, we can change, we potentially save a life with the click of a button of someone who's on the other side of the globe during a disaster, you know, terrible time or something might happen. And through the spread of information and the ability to help through technology. It's extremely powerful. Why wouldn't we take that into a micro day-to-day, everyday, small acts of, of helping one another or kindness? Because that's, that's energy, once again. It spreads. It's scalable. You know, we're only bound by the speed of technology. And there are no geographic barriers virtually. So this is like magic in a way, right? Like you can't think of a better way to have an impact or quicker, more efficient way to have impact. So it's all based on how humans decide to use it. Right. And with how we decide to use it, first of all, what's the app that makes you go over your screen time? It's actually just built into the iOS for iPhones. If you go to your general settings and then you look down. So if you're in settings, you can see screen time. Hmm. Scroll down and it's a purple hourglass icon. And what's your personal top used app that makes you go over your screen time? Oh, probably Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? <laughs> uh, definitely 100% Instagram. I run a lot of different accounts and yeah, that's my main business. And YouTube is starting to get up there, but uh-huh. it's still Instagram. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of the the big one. It's the giant right now. It is. And, you know, something you brought up in the beginning of the conversation is just naturally what's happening is humans are starting to translate their value and their worth through what they see and their engagement on social media. And it's so messed up. It's like... But it's so human. What else can we expect to do? Like our brains were engineered to do this. And those apps were engineered to create that, that addiction. And what would you say to someone who is stopped by 
Let me just give you a real life example. This is what I think about every day. So I have different accounts. I have Woken Wired, which is has always been my personal account, and now it's becoming like my entrepreneur business insights and social media approach account. And that's growing faster than ever. The engagement is super high. And then there's Breakfast Criminals, which has over 80,000 followers, which is my main business. And the engagement is just so low on Breakfast Criminals when I compare and percentage wise. And still brands want to work with me. I'm invited to speak. It's more relevant than ever in the real world. But in the online world, it just is not reaching as many people. And there's days, of course, when posts reach a ton of people and there's days when they don't. And it's so easy. And I catch myself doing this, uh, telling myself that I'm not relevant anymore because people Mm -hmm. are not liking this. But the truth is they're not even seeing it. So Instagram has become this big platform everyone's obsessed with. But at the same time, with the algorithms changing, no one really knows how it works. No one really Mm -hmm. knows where it's going. And a lot of people are ditching it, actually. Yeah. What is a healthier approach to it that you personally, either personally utilize or advise some of the people that you work with? Yeah, well, there's kind of the internal healthier, and then there's also just the business side, too, of smart business. And I'll give you both. It's The algorithms are changing daily, and we have zero control over that for the most part, right? If we start measuring our self-worth based on these numbers we're seeing, um, it's a very dangerous game. Like, it's just to stop and become self-aware of the fact that you're feeling a certain way and that your moods are being dictated by an app is powerful, right? Even if you may may not have an exact solution at that moment, when we're self-aware, then we will start to <laughs> arrive at solutions much quicker than we would if we weren't. So, and they'll start to pop up in our pathways. But so that's just like number one, if you feel like your moods and your self-worth is being really dictated by it, just first of all, give it a break, just stop for a you know, get some perspective. Also, what's amazing is from a business standpoint, I know people who have huge followings and maybe their engagement is big too, but they are not, they are not generating revenue from it necessarily. And people who have small followings and it from the outside looking in, it looks like they're not doing much and they're making bank through direct messages and connecting underground. So just remember like comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> according to Teddy Roosevelt, it is a really dangerous game to be comparing yourself in that way when you don't know what's going on behind the scenes and you don't know what's converting truly. Also from a business standpoint, like if you can think about these algorithms constantly changing, it's kind of like trying to build a business on top of a volcano. And I actually was, I heard someone say this, I think Tim Ferriss repeated it. Someone else had said it. One of the founders potentially even of a social platform I can't remember who it was, but that's so true. You know, how can you possibly have a sound strategy when you have zero control over these algorithms? So one thing to do is make sure that you're growing your email list and you have a bridge directly to these people who want to connect with you because that's much more stable and you have much more ownership in that. And so like I keep saying, it's like a big social experiment that we're all living in and checking yourself is, it's got to be something that you do. No one can do it for you. And you have to be in control. Yeah. When you said just become aware that your moods are being dictated by an app, I suddenly had this perspective and reminded that, wow, Instagram is just an app. It has become so much more for so many of us, but all it is, is an app on a phone that might stop working. (laughs) I know. Well, if you want to hear something a little scary, I lost 17,000 followers on Twitter overnight a couple weeks ago. 17,000 followers? Yeah. (laughs) And this happened to me back in July as well. And then they bounced right back up about a month later. And then they bounced right back down to the same place a few months. So this has happened twice now. And there's zero explanation. I've reached out to them. They say, sure, we're cleaning or scrubbing our list or we're cleaning out bots. I get that, but how do they automatically just reappear in a month to the same exact numbers? Like, it's just, I'm sorry, but it's just, some of it's just feeling like bullshit. So (laughs) you have Mm -hmm. to take this stuff with a grain of salt. 
And if your business is built around it, just make sure you have some other other things in place that are allowing you to have a little more control. Sources of connection and joy and revenue. <laughs> yes, yes. Right. And I don't mean to talk shit about the platforms, but mm -hmm. there has to come a point where we have to kind of give in and, and call a spade a spade. You know, it's like, okay, right. all right. Right. Totally. Right, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to cuss on your. Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. And also. I'm fired you up. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I remind myself that also really helps me is instead of seeking validation in how something is going to land is actually making sure that I'm putting something that is so aligned with me and who I am and what my message is that it just feels so good to get it out there that nothing else matters. Yep. That's the only reason. Yes, you should. And you have no concept of who that's impacting and reaching because it's touching people in ways that you'll never know. And right. you hear about it every once in a while, right? It'll come back 360 or sometimes you hear about it daily. But it's important still that you're putting out the energy that you want to put out. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the final question to bring it all together is has to do with alignment again. You know, speaking to entrepreneurs who are on this journey of wanting to do business in a more aligned way, no matter where where you guys are in your journey, whether you're just starting out or thinking about something and thinking, why not now? And now after listening to Amy's podcast, inspired to start now, or maybe you've been on it for a while and you're just ready to take on more conscious ways that feel more fulfilling and present and grounded. Amy, Joe, what would you advise to anyone listening based on the your own journey and your experience what kind of choices or practices or mindset that we can all adapt to create a sustainable conscious model of a business that is on social media that is connected but doesn't feel like it's taking away instead bringing value to every other area of our lives and other people's lives so i have two things to share on that One is I always recommend that entrepreneurs zone in on where their purpose, their passion, and their skill are colliding. And it's specifically adding in that skill too, because we do talk a lot about purpose and passion. And sometimes that can feel a little fluffy because we don't always associate business with that. Hopefully that's happening more. But when you add that skill too, That creates your zone of genius, not just your zone of excellence. And that's a concept that Gay Hendricks, Dr. Gay Hendricks came up with. So that intersection is key. And if you can, you know, think of your business concept, your idea, and make sure that those three are involved, it's going to be so much more sustainable. It's not going to feel like work, so on and so forth. The other thing is first ask yourself, why do I want to embark on this new journey? And Make sure it isn't because some sort of deficit on the inside, right? I, if I do this, I'll be happy when, or some sort of external feedback that's, that's going to make you happy or make more money or X, Y, Z. It really needs to start from a, a solid foundation where you're not trying to come up with a solution for something else by starting a company, right? Maybe there's something else going on. And doing an audit where you're, you get really honest with yourself and say, is the reason I want to leave my corporate job really because I'm unhappy with just what I'm doing here? Or is it because there's something else going on a little deeper that I need to figure out first and start a company when I'm feeling really sound and stable as a human being? Right, right. Such important questions. And no matter if you are creating from that internal deficit, no matter how much how many accolades you get on the outside and none of it is going to feel fulfilling. So that's why being aligned and finding practices that make you connected to yourself, whether it's med meditating backstage or before a podcast recording like mm -hmm. I did, or being in nature or eating well, whatever it is for you, it's so vital. And that's why this podcast exists. And thank you so much, Amy Jo, for this incredible conversation. Before we do the final wrap, is there anything else you would like to share that I didn't ask you about? I don't think so. You asked such thorough questions and it's just been fun chatting with you. Thank you for bringing this 
concept of woke and wired to the world. It's amazing. Thank you. And what's the best way to connect with you? So I am at Amy Jo Martin on all of the social media touch points and amyjoemartin.com is my website. The name of the podcast is Why Not Now. And um, yeah, I'm I'm around out and about on the digital channel. So I encourage you to come say hi. Talk about streamlined branding, man. Amy Jo Martin <laughs> everywhere. Amazing. Thank you so much, Amy Jo. Thank you. I've enjoyed this. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your friends, leave a review, and find all the show notes on wokeandwired.com and connect with me on Instagram at wokeandwired. Stay woke, stay wired, and have an incredible day.